Man, you guys are packing this service out. We're going to have to get some more chairs in here or something. Gonna have to bust down this wall and make the Bow Wow people go somewhere else. I don't know. You better. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. They uh, they have a they have a contract and they pay for half of our mortgage. So we're glad they're here. Amen. Praise God. All dogs go to heaven. We have a, a doggy daycare over here, and uh, dogs are holy. If it was a cat daycare, I would not have bought this building. Um, but uh, anyway, anyway. Uh, great to be with you today. We love you. Uh, we've got one more uh, quick little announcement. For sure, October 8th, do not miss Vision Sunday. We're going to roll out the vision for all of 2024, what God has uh, put in my heart, and it's going to be exciting. Lots of new ministries launching. Uh, one of the things that we do is we have a business person's ministry. We're going to take it to a whole new level in the next year. It's going to be crazy exciting, but we're starting something, um, changing something, actually. We've been doing a lunch uh, for business people, kind of a networking-type lunch, but this month, we're shifting kind of our focus and our our uh, MO, we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're launching a business person's breakfast. It's going to be on the third Thursday, every single month, third Thursday. And we're going to have a guest speaker or an interview. We're going to interview different great business people. This week, we have uh, Kevin Brown, one of our own members, incredible businessman, a friend of mine, someone I would consider an advisor and even a mentor, amazing friend. And he has a message, a fantastic business person, huge success in business. But his message for business people this coming Thursday morning is on how to bring the Holy Spirit into your business. So you do not want to miss that. It's going to be absolutely powerful. Uh, you can register online, oakschurch.com. Uh, go to events and pick the uh, business person's breakfast. That'll be third Thursday every month. We'll have different speakers and interviews and cool stuff, networking opportunity. Uh, it's all about building relationships. We want to invest in our business people and help business people to understand the kingdom purpose God has for their business. Amen? Amen. With that said, uh, we had one of our members of our business uh, community that passed this week and went to be with Jesus. He was a very good friend of mine, Michael McCurdy. I've known him, I think, seven years or more. And his family is here with us today. I'm going to be a part of this service on um, Friday morning. If you knew Michael and would love to celebrate him, um, it's at the, uh, I think, Turrentine Jackson facility um, or off of Highway 75 in Allen, Texas. The viewing's at 9 a.m. Uh, the service will be at 10. Um, but we just want to pray for them today. This is um, a family. I mean, Michael so close, was close to me. Uh, Rowan is in here and Gina, his wife. Um, and Rowan, Rowan, you're 19, sweetheart. You're, are you at um, College Station? You down there with, with the, at the Aggies? You're an Aggie? Baylor. Oh, well, okay then. Well, bear, get it. Um, but 19, you're a sophomore this year? Okay. And she got to call me and tell me that her dad and my friend had gone into his office just to take a nap. And he went to sleep and he didn't wake up. And uh, that's a tough spot for any family to be in. And uh, lots of emotions, lots of feelings. But what I know is that God loved Michael and God loves his family. God loves his family. And I just want to pray for them. And would you extend your faith toward them? Not to try to embarrass in any way, shape, or form. But would you just extend your faith to them for supernatural comfort and peace and God to speak. Uh, we all go through things like this. We all go through loss. And God will meet us in the midst of that. Amen. Uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the McCurdy family. I thank you for... Um, your purpose on their life. I thank you for the purpose on Michael's life. Michael was a man of vision. He was driven. He had ambition. He had strong ideas. He had principles that he stood for, and he inspired me in so many ways. I know he inspired many people here and also this family, but Holy Spirit, would you wrap your arms around them and comfort them in the midst of this season, Father, as they ask questions and they seek you. Father, would you draw them closer to you and give them more and more peace than ever before. Father, help them to know you and be closer to you 
than ever, Father. We are grateful for our time with Michael. We know that he is with you now. And honestly, in some little way, we all want to be there too. And when it's our time, we'll be there and we know we'll see him again. But Father, we celebrate his life and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, hey, let's jump right into this. Um, I'm excited about this topic, when God is first. Um, And I'm really passionate about it. And I know that the message today is going to bless you. I've spent a tremendous amount of time over the last few weeks uh, building uh, my portion of this series. We had a great guest speaker, a friend of mine, Pastor Matt, came in a couple weeks ago. Last week, we had a panel. You got to hear from some of our business leaders here in the house on their positions. And I hope you really enjoyed uh, being able to hear from some of your uh, friends and, and members of the congregation, their positions on the stories of their life and how they've learned to put uh, God first and what that means to them. Today, I want to walk you through a few things, um, and I want to start with just this thought. How many of you like to be first? Like, anybody here competitive? Man, I'm, 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 I'm pretty competitive. I know you'd have never guessed that, right? Uh, I'm pretty competitive. Um, you know, when, I, when, you, when you get older, when you, you know, I get to turn 50 in two weeks, right? And so when you're, get, when you're creeping up there, I know, I know, it's a baby face. I mean, the gray, the gray doesn't fool anybody. Uh, but but, but when, the older you get, the more you cheat. Uh, that's the rule, right? And it's okay because you're old. So when you're playing sports or whatever, you just cheat more, you know, and it's acceptable because you're old, you know, and, and that's just part of the game. I, I just, I like to win, right? It's just part of my nature. I was an athlete. I was a competitor. And, and I, I, I want to I wanna be in first place, right? It's just kind of my name. So in business, I want to be in first. In, in sports, I want to be in first. In a- a- athletics, whatever, I just like that. My wife is not competitive at all, Except when she's behind the wheel. She's a very competitive driver. She wants to be in first place when she drives. She, uh, she believes that she should have been born a race car driver, right? That was one of her beliefs, that God should have made her a race car driver. Um, I won't tell you the other one. It's a different, it's a different career path that wouldn't fit. But um, and the assassin. She thought maybe she'd be a good assassin, which, listen, I mean, I can vouch. I can vouch for that. I think she would have made a great one. But, but when she's driving... She's very competitive. And when she's driving with me, she's competitive and wants me to not, you know, make sure that I'm coming first place then too, right? So, um, but anyway, the other one is board games. Oh my gosh, this woman playing board games, she is crazy. Anybody else, any board game fanatic people, man that just brings it out, brings it out in you, right? Uh, she won't play Monopoly with me anymore because I dominated the dojo so bad one day that it's just, I ruined the whole game. But um, we have this in our nature. You know, as an athlete, as a competitor, uh, I started competing as a kid and it, it became my career. I was a professional competitor and I got to compete on the world stage. And man, I remember the first time I, I won two silver medals at my first world championships in Moscow, Russia. It was an incredible experience. And, and it was not, it, I didn't see it as a failure. I saw it as a massive experience and great, man. On my first time on the world stage, winning two silvers, but I wasn't satisfied with silvers. I wanted gold, I wanted the title. I wanted to be world champ. And so I kept training, competing in the next world championships in Italy. I won a gold medal and a silver medal there. So I earned my first world championship title. I wanted to be the gold medalist, right? My next world championships. I got three gold medals and a silver and a bronze. It was, it was, I was driven to be first. Just part of something that was in me. It's part of something that's in all of us. Any of you guys ever watched uh, the movie? I can't, I can't vouch for the content of this movie, 
Um, there are certain things that as a pastor I can't vouch for, but I like Will Ferrell. I, I think Will Ferrell, you know, Elf, uh, you know, Buddy the Elf, I, he is one of the funniest humans that God ever made. I think he's hilarious. And he played this race car driver in Talladega Nights. And his, his statement, his motto for life was, if you ain't first, you're last, right? That was his motto. If you ain't first, you're last. And if we're not careful as humans, this is something, this competitive nature, this ambition in the Bible, it calls it oftentimes selfish ambition, selfish ambition. But where does this come from? Because it's in our design as humans. Nobody inside of the design of their life says, man, my goal in life is to be in last place. Can I tell you where I was in last place? Seventh grade clarinet. (laughs) Last place. Oh, I was mad. No, it was sixth grade. Sixth grade clarinet. I wanted to play the saxophone, and and we were going through a financial situation, and we couldn't afford a saxophone, but we had a clarinet, so Joel got to play the clarinet as the only boy playing a clarinet in my sixth grade year, and I was last place, and I was mad about it. Still a little mad about it. Man, saxophones are cool though, man. I, you know, I just, but that was last place. I was last chair all year. It's not fun. It's not fun to be last. We want to be first. Where does this drive inside of the human soul come from to be first? Where does this drive to accomplish and to win? Like we like to be treated like royalty, don't we? Anybody like bad customer service? I, apparently I do because I'm still a customer at an AT&T. The worst customer service on the planet. You can be on the phone for five hours, talk to 83 people, tell your story 83 and a half times and still get no solution. I can't believe I'm still a customer because it's such bad customer service. But American Express, oh, I like that. Mr. Scribner, so great to talk to you today. I see you have a platinum card. You've been with us for, since 1998. You're a valued member of our organization. How can we possibly serve you? I made the mistake of asking what I needed to do to get a black card, and they said, oh, Mr. Scrivener, we'll let you know when you're ready for that card. <laughs> I'm not ready for that card, apparently. Right, Nordstrom, man, great customer service. I love good customer service. Have you ever stayed at the Ritz-Carlton? I've only been there once, but when I was there, everyone knew my name. The people at the door, Mr. Scribner, we're so glad you're back. The bell person, Mr. Scribner, can I get you anything? The lady at the front desk, oh, Mr. Scribner, we hope you're enjoying. They all knew my name. It's unbelievable. I felt like royalty. We like that. As humans, we like that. We like to feel special. There's something in us. You know what it is? We all seek glory. It's part of our nature. And if we're really honest, we would never call it this, but what it is is we seek worship. See, worship comes from the word worth. It's the state of something's worth or the projection of what something is worth. We want people to project on us our worth. We accidentally oftentimes seek to gain our worth from other people. It's a mistake. You can only find your worth in the creator, but where does that come from? 
because it's inside of our human nature. It's inside of our human design. Could I, could I interest you in telling you that God actually put that in you? That thing that could become sin, that thing that has the propensity to become selfish, it's actually part of your God design. Do you know why? It's because God made you in his image and according to his likeness. And God desires, not only desires, God demands first place. He demands first place. He commands first place. And he made us as individuals that have his nature in us. And he put us intentionally in a state of conflict where we want to be first, but he demands that he is first. And he put us in a state of conflict on purpose so that we would choose to love him. God wants you to choose him. Look at this. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. You all heard of the Ten Commandments, right? Do anybody know what the first of the Ten Commandments is? You're about to find out. There's a thing in Scripture called the law of first mention. The law of first mention means that there is something specific and very intentional about why God says or mentions something first in Scripture. It's not by accident. There's nothing in the scripture by accident. It's all intentional. And when God addresses a subject for the very first time, or when God himself puts something in first place, it's extremely important. And that first mention of that thing sets the parameters in the baseline for the meaning of that thing forever. That's how we know that the design for marriage forever is between a man and a woman. That is the only definition that God has created. It's the law of first mention. He didn't change it along the way. He does not change it along the way. People can do whatever they wanna do. If they wanna marry a boot, they can marry a boot. But God only ordains and values and, and, and puts his stamp of approval on one picture of marriage. That's just his law, his first mention. It's what he designed. It's not something to be offended about. It's something just to recognize. You can do whatever you want, but you can't do whatever you want and force God to bless it. Does that make sense? Do whatever you want. But God has put specific things in place, specific demands, specific commands in place that allow you to learn how to put him first. And when you put him first, he releases blessing on it. Do whatever you want. He gave you free choice but you don't get to control where he puts his blessing. Okay? And God spoke all these words, this is Exodus 20 verse one, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Number one, first command, first mention, first law. No other gods before me. I'm first. That's what God is saying. I'm first, period. No other gods, nothing else before me. I have to have first place. Next commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water or under the earth. You shall not bow down to serve them. 
For I, the Lord your God, am jealous God, visiting the iniquity on the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation, but of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God is serious. He's jealous. He wants to be first. He wants no other gods. He wants no other idols. You might say, Joel, we're Americans. We don't have an idol culture. Oh, yes, we do. We might not make little figurines out of them and put them in our house and make a little thing that we bow to and pray at, but Americans have idols too. See, idols are the human creation that represents a demonic principality, a fallen angel. See, Satan himself had the same thing in his nature. The Bible says that Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. And the scriptures declared that the reason Satan fell is because he said, I can be like the most high. I can make myself like God. He desired to be first. He desired to be God himself. And he was cast out and a third of the angels fell with him. And they were thrown to the earth and they created their own dark kingdom in the earth. Demonic beings exist on this planet. They're not make-believe. They're not Hollywood. They're real demonic spirits, and there are real angels that exist. And thank God, only one-third of the angels left. That means we have double with us than are with them. That's great news. But they're real, and they want to be worshiped. And they've been worshipped all through culture. They've been worshipped all through history. They've been worshipped in every continent on the planet. And let me tell you, they're here too. They're here too. Next month in October, we're going to be doing a series on spiritual warfare. And we're going to talk a lot about prayer and how to pray powerful prayers and how to see things move in the heavens because of your prayer life. And a lot of it has to do with spiritual authority and understanding what you walk in and understanding who is with you. And when God is for us, who can be against us? It's going to be a powerful series. But you need to understand right now that we live in a world where there are real, real demonic gods and they want to be worshipped. They want you to bow to them. See, we're in this conflict in our creative being. Jesus said the only way to be his disciples, Matthew chapter 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, deny first place, deny himself, Take up his cross or whatever suffering you have set before you in life. You know, Jesus promised us suffering. Oh, thanks, Jesus. He said, be sure of this thing. In this life, you will suffer tribulation, but take heart for I have overcome the world. What is it that overcomes the world? The Bible says, even our faith. He's given us what we need to overcome. He said, let them deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. God wants you to choose him. God gives you everything, access to everything, and then says, choose me. Watch this. Again, law first mention. In the Garden of Eden, what did God do? God made everything. He made the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. He made the trees. He made the flowers. He made the mountains, the rivers, the ocean, the sun, the moon, the stars, the, pla the planets. He made everything for mankind. He made it all for mankind. But he created something in the garden 
And there was this one tree that he put in place. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that he placed in the center of the garden. What that means if it's in the center of the garden was it was the first fruit. It was the first tree. Because when God creates something, he starts in the center, it expands outward. When a cell starts, it's one cell and it expands outward. When he spoke the universe into existence, it started in the center and it's expanding outward. The, the universe is still expanding. It hasn't stopped expanding. It's expanding outward away from itself because that's what God does. And the center is the first thing and it's his. So he makes everything for mankind, everything for Adam and Eve. They have all of the trees, all of the vegetables, all of the fish, all of the animals, all of the everything. And he says, I'm just asking you for one thing. I want the first thing. I want the first fruit. The first fruit represents the tithe, the tenth. Give me the first thing. That first thing was the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you ate that fruit, if you ate that fruit from that tree, you would know the difference between good and evil. And God said, let me have that. You stay innocent hearted. You stay innocent minded. You don't need to mess with evil. You don't need to have the knowledge of evil. Here's another tree right beside it you can have. It's called the tree of life. If you eat this one, you'll live forever in perfect health. They could have eaten that tree. But instead they chose Facebook. The news. Listen, every bit of stress in your life is because of that choice. The knowledge of evil. The knowledge of evil. Oh man, ignorance is bliss is what they say, right? When you're a kid and you don't know the world stinks. When you're a kid and you, th you still think your parents are superheroes, when you're a kid and, 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 man, you jump on your mongoose dirt bike and you ride all over Broken Arrow, Oklahoma to all these different places and all this kind of stuff, and no one knows where you are and you got one kid buddy on your front put pegs, another kid on your back. Come on, someone remember the 80s? Man, it was like the Goonies every day. We just did all kinds of 80s stuff all over. Total freedom, no cares. It's awesome. And then you grow up, figure out the world stinks people stink. Sometimes the church stinks. Christians can stink. Oh, we can get so jaded. It's all about the knowledge of evil, the loss of innocence. Interesting, Jesus said that the way to have the right kind of faith is to return to the faith of a child, an innocent perspective. That's the type of faith that pleases him. So many of us in this last season have been so wrapped up in all of the evil, the knowledge of evil, and it steals our joy, steals our peace. My buddy Randy got kicked off of Facebook like 82 times. He finally gave it up. And man, he just loves Jesus now. He's not stressed anymore. Praise God. My, we get so worked up, don't we? I did too, man. I hate that stuff. I just, I don't want to look at it at all. People are like, Pastor Joel, I sent you a Facebook message. I'm like, I don't want to be on there. I'm probably going to miss that one. Man, email or call the church. We'll get, we'll get somebody, but I don't want to be on there. It stresses me out. It's the knowledge of evil. It's just everywhere. If it was baby kitten videos all day long, watch it and just worship, right? Baby kittens before they turn into demons. It's just, you know, I mean, it's... <laughs> we have a cat. Her name is Muffin, and she is a warrior that kills all kinds of stuff out around her house. We love her as long as she's outside. Amen. Um, 
Look at the nature of God. This is the nature of God. John chapter three, verse 16. We all know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. For God so loved that he gave. Generous, extravagant giving is God's nature. That's who God is. That's who he is. That's what his specific nature is. But we as humans, um, we have this nature because we want to be first too, that we fall into this pit, we fall into this trap and we use this word, mine, mine. Oh man, little kids, when they're really little, when they're really innocent, remember when they're little babies and they discover the Cheerios and then they want to feed you the Cheerios and they want, they want to give, they want to, and then they turn into that toddler, the pre-kinder stage, and they learn how to be selfish. No one has to teach them. They want to be first. Oh, I remember I was part of this little play group when I was four in San Diego. Uh, All my little buddies, two, three, four, this little preschool group, it was called the Big Boys Club, man. We had matching outfits and everything. We'd have these little, you know, San Diego uh, soccer mom play group or whatever, and we're hanging out. And I remember being somewhere and I'm playing. I got this Hot Wheel. I'm playing with this Hot Wheel. And there's other little kid wants this Hot Wheel. And I'm like, mine, mine. And I'm like, he's like trying to take it. And finally, I did what any respectable four-year-old would do. I, I, I bit him. Just monkey bite right on the head. Ah, right? Because that's what you do when you're, you're four and it's like, this is mine. My parents had to get on to me and I got a little spanking that day and, and I got to remember that it wasn't even my Hot Wheel. It was his Hot Wheel. I took his Hot Wheel and then bit him. That's how much of a mess I am. Send me to counseling for some, crying out loud. But that's our nature. It's mine. With my kids. How many of you ever bought your kids some... Chick-fil-A, chicken nuggets, and then you ask for a nugget, and they're like, these are mine. You're like, only because of me, you little sucker. I bought those. Those are my nuggets that I'm allowing you to eat. You live in my room that I allow you to call your own. None of it's yours. It's all mine. Oh, man. I would buy, I would buy my daughter's ice creams, and I would literally take them, and I was like, I get the tithe. I would lick their ice creams. I get the first lick. This is how God works. He gets the first fruit. Now I made it a little easier. I'm like, listen, uh, you want three tenders from Cane's? I'm getting you four tenders and I'm taking the first one because the first one is mine. They're all mine, but you can have your three. I'm gonna give you four. Come on, this is how God works. Everything you have is not yours. It's all his. And we sit there and go, mine, my car, my job, my house, my wife, my... Listen, that's his daughter. I don't get to treat her the way I want. She's not my property. That's God's daughter. You understand? Mine, mine, mine. None of it's yours. Well, I I give my tithe, Joel. I give my 10% and I give that to the Lord. And then the 90% is mine to do whatever I want with. It's not yours. None of it's yours, guys. That house, not yours. See, here's the reality. We we did something with our kids. Um, They work, our kids have to work at the house. They have to do chores. They have to help. They have to 
whatever. And we give them, we've paid them for their hard work. We paid them for, you know, if they do great in school, we would give them rewards. If they would, you know, do their chores, we give them rewards. And I worked out a deal with my kids early. Like, I'll give you this much in cash if you want cash. But if you want to put this into an investment and save it for your future car, I'll, I'll add more to it. And I began to pay them a pretty significant amount of money, but it went into their car fund. And so then I got a 10-year-old that's got thousands of dollars. And really, they're not here today. So, oh, man, one of them's watching online. Hey, Sid, how are you, babe? Um, but, but really, it's just our trick to make them save for a car because I wanted them to, to have that ownership and that responsibility than not to sit there and be like, when I'm 16, daddy's gonna buy me a car. No, you're gonna start saving at 10 and one day, depending on how much you save, that's gonna determine the kind of car you can buy and you're gonna have to be responsible with it and you're gonna have to learn how to tithe and you're gonna have to learn how to whatever. But at the end of the day, it's a child's bank account. I have access to all of it. It's all mine. It all came from me. It didn't come from them. It's not like they're out there working, you know, on the railroad, earning hard money or whatever. It's all from me. That account is in my name. It's got their little undername underneath it. It's in my name. I can do whatever I want with it. It's the same way with God. It's all his. It's all his. It's not ours. Everything we have, every relationship we have, those are his kids. Oh, how we treat people, how we talk about people. If God is first, if God is, see, see, a lot of people, when you talk about putting God first, instantly the whole thing is about money. Guys, this is way bigger than money. Is your tithe a part of it? Oh yeah, it's a big part of it. And I'll explain in a minute. But it's about every part of your life. It's about your time. It's about your time. It's about your energy. See, I, I, I had, I grew up in church and I understood this whole thing of of. of tithing, right? I mean, when it, it was easy when I was little because it was, I get a dollar, I give a dime. It was dimes. How many dimes do I need to give Jesus? Easy. And then it turns into dollars, then it turns into tens of dollars, then it turns into hundreds of dollars. It, and because I grew up that way, when it turned into thousands of dollars a year, when it turned into tens of thousands of dollars a year that I give to the cause of Christ and I give it excited, I can't wait to give it because I understand how this works. It works with dimes, it works with dollars, it works with tens of thousands, it works with hundreds of thousands. I get how it works. I understand it. So it makes sense. But when I got the revelation that it's way bigger than money, this is about my whole life. This is about my energy, my, my acts of service, my talent. When I began, one of the greatest seasons of my life is when I moved out of that, of, and, and I did this my, all growing up because I grew up in a church. My parents went to one service and, and worshiped. They went to another service and they served. So as a kid, I grew up going to two services and I would sit in one and I would serve in another one. That's how I was raised. That, I like that culture. It creates responsibility. It's a great thing. So, so I was used to it, but when I became an adult and I came out of high school and now I'm a college student, now I'm like, man, I get to be a real adult. I get to go through membership class and I get to join the church and I get to find my place. And when I begin to give God my time and service into his church every week, oh my gosh, my life began to explode. I began to explode in my relationships, my friendships. You know, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was I met this woman right here. You know where I met her? Serving in church volunteering in church. The first night that we met, she was volunteering in church. I was volunteering. I had a group of students that I brought to an event. We met. Oh, it's my favorite story. She was on a date with someone I knew. 
Stefan, thank you, Stefan. God bless you, buddy. I saw Stefan. I saw her. I'm like, I have got to meet her. Hey, Stefan, how are you? Hi, my name's Joel. 45 minutes we talked right in front of Stefan. Bye. Got it. Right? But we, then the next night I go back, we volunteered together. Our whole life, our whole friendship, our whole, everything was built on serving together. We were giving our time, not just our tithe. We were giving our time to God in his house. And the greatest relationships I have in my life have come because I served time in his house. And then, when I was in my 20s and I was a local businessman in Plano and I had my, my business and I was doing all the different things I was doing, but I was committed to church and man, my spiritual life was my greatest hobby. I, I, and I began to come to a new revelation that it wasn't just about my service and it wasn't just about my financial tithe. I got a revelation that I was awake on an average of 16 hours a day. And I got a revelation of giving God a tithe of my awake life. 1.6 hours a day, an hour and a half-ish a day. I'm gonna give that to God in dedication in my Bible, dedication in prayer, dedication in worship. And I began to create a habit of worship in my life, a habit of time that I'm giving to him just to be in his presence. Can I tell you that every great thing that's ever come in my life has come from that moment. Now I live my entire life out of my prayer journal, the things God says to me, because I've cultivated, I'm tithing my time in his presence and it radically changed my life. It's nothing for me now to spend a couple hours straight just reading the word and worshiping and writing and praying. It's easy for me. I love doing it. In fact, it's my favorite thing if every single day, if I could get up and have my cup of coffee and sit for two hours journaling and praying and writing and reading the word, it would be my favorite thing to do every single day because I, I I get the reward of it. See, it's the, it's the tithe of your life. It's the tithe of your life. It's not just about dimes and dollars. It's about your service in his house. It's about your, your dedication in his presence. See, the culture of the world is conformity. The culture of the world is that demonic thing I mentioned earlier, the world system, the system of greed. The world wants you to bow. Oh, we've never seen it. We've never seen it like we saw over these last four years. The oppressive global system to force people to conform and to bow their will. And if you don't, we demonize you. If you don't, we call you the curse upon the earth. It's extremely demonic. Don't hide behind follow the science. The science changes every three seconds. Nobody can follow it. It's about controlling your will. It's about conformity. And there comes a time, the Bible tells us to honor authorities, to honor our government, to honor the people that are in charge. But there also comes a time where we have to choose whether we honor him or we honor them. And when that moment arises, 
you're going to be faced with the question, is God first or not? I mean, look, we're all already being conditioned. Just take, just take your little hand and wave your little card over something. Boop, boop, boop. They've already invented it. They've already, look it up online. They already have the implants. The mark of the beast, it's here, guys. It's already here. It's already here. And we're conditioned. Conform, conform, conform. Come on, this is not in my notes. This is not something I plan on talking about. Let me tell you something. You're going to have to decide if you're going to bow to the world or if you're going to bow to your king. You're going to have to decide at some point. I hope it's a long way off, but at some point, at some point. And the reason is because there's this demonic principality called Baal that exists. He's an eternal demon. He is the demon of wealth worship. He is, he is in ancient, uh, all different histories. He goes from Egypt to, uh, to the Babylonians, to the Assyrians, to the Canaanites to the Greece and Rome. I mean, the same demons are worshiped in every nation. They just have different names and their mythology is a little different, but they're the same demons. And Baal is the, is the demon of the golden calf. He, he, he was, the, he was the, the god of weather and harvest. He brought the rain. He brought provision. He's the provider. He's the protector. And, and the, to worship him was all about the system of wealth in the earth. That's why Jesus said, you can't choose. You, you have to choose one master. You'll either love one or hate the other. And then Jesus says, you can't serve both God and mammon. Mammon is the system of Baal in the earth. It's the wealth drive and the, and the power drive and the hunger for that type of thing, materialism at every level. And we have a golden calf in America, don't we? It's on Wall Street. Yes. Yes. Oh, he's here. He's here. And it's interesting that Jesus didn't say, you can't serve both God and the devil. He said, because the devil's way too tricky for that. Right? There's not many, very many of us are like, yeah, yeah, Lucifer. That's not a very common thing. Right? It's not very common. It's not, it, it's not very attractive. But Jesus said you can't serve both God and mammon or the system of wealth and greed in the earth. Oh, it's easy to worship things. Very easy to let things be idols. I'm curious how many things attract your attention. How many things consume your imagination? How many things? Because if you live your life and everything is about the next thing, and this, this person, those shoes, and this car, and that hobby, and, this, and it's things, 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 you live your life with a giant, open, black hole in your soul that nothing will ever fill because you've created an idol of Baal in your heart. You didn't mean to, but he's just that tricky. He's just that sneaky. He wants you to bow. Uh, this weekend is uh, Rosh Hashanah yesterday. Rosh Hashanah is a Jewish holiday, first day of the year. It's, it, it means head of the year. So it was a, a commanded ceremony for God's people to put him first, to bring significant offerings, to bring significant worship. And so today is the second day of the Jewish year 
we are in the Jewish calendar, we are in the year 5,784. That's the Jewish calendar year. You think it's 2023. The Jews are like, eh, it's 5,784. Interesting that the Bible says that a day to God is like a thousand years. And it says that the days of the number of man are six days, which is 6,000 years. And we're at 5,784. There's just maybe a couple hundred years left or so. We don't know. We don't know. No idea when he's going to come back. Jesus said no one knows, right? But, but listen, we're getting close. It's getting close. We better be ready, right? So every single year I do this, I take a moment and I talk about the meaning of the year, right? Five, seven, eight, four. The, the Jewish alphabet and its number system are synonymous. So every single letter is also a number. They don't have, we, we have ABCs and one, two, threes. Theirs is the same. Interestingly, it's called the alphabet from the origins of the Hebrew language, Aleph Bet, are the first two letters, A, B. Aleph Bet is where alphabet comes from. But in the Hebrew uh, alphabet, every letter was a number. Every letter was also a picture or a hieroglyph. And every uh, hieroglyph was actually a word. So a string of numbers is actually a string of letters or a string of pictures or a string of words that makes up a sentence. So when we have a five, seven, eight, four, we actually have a sentence that God is declaring over that year. Watch this. Five is the letter, uh, it, it's the letter hey, it's pronounced hey. And just like that, that, that kind of breathy sound, it represents the breath of God. The, the original pictograph was a picture of a man almost like he was worshiping. And it represents the creative essence of God. It literally means look or behold or pay attention because there's a creative opportunity here. That's what that word or that letter means, five. Seven is the zayin. Zayin is a sword, the pictograph of a sword upside down, the hilt pointing down to the ground. It symbolizes the authority of heaven down to the earth. That's a really, really good thing that we're in. So we're in a, a, a millennia of, of, of God's divine breath and opportunity. We're in a century that is connected to uh, God's divine authority. The decade that we're in is the eight. Eight is the letter Chet. The number eight is the letter Chet. Sounds like a fraternity boy, uh, but it actually, that word Chet means uh, a, a hedge of protection. It's the pictograph of a gate or some type of shrub system that protects and creates a fence. It represents God's supernatural protection. So the decade we're in is a decade of protection. Interesting. So God's divine opportunity, his breath, his supernatural authority, that's the millennia, that's the century, the decade of divine protection, and the year is the number four, that's a delet. It literally means a door, a door, but it represents, the pictograph is, looks like this, and it represents a man who is bowing. It's about worship. It's about extravagant worship. It's about sacrificial living and giving. That's what this year is about. God has prepared a season for us to live in that this next year is all about bowing to him and him only. God is first, period. No one else. I will not bow to the government. I will not bow to Baal. I will not bow to materialism. I will not bow to anything else. I will not bow to myself. See, the reality and the ultimate trick is if the enemy can trick you 
into playing God yourself. Oh, this happened to me. I didn't know it. But, but when I was taken advantage of as a child, and, and when the revelation of, of what had happened to me became real in my mind, I, I made a vow. It's what we would call an unholy vow. I made a vow and I said, no one will ever take advantage of me ever again. I will never allow anyone to harm me or to take advantage of me. And I, just, I developed this, this, this horrific rage inside of me for bullies a rage inside of me for people that would try to take advantage of someone that was innocent. And, and it, it was horrific, it was, it was evil. But where it came from was a feeling inside that I had to learn to repent from later, but a feeling inside that I'm looking to God saying, why didn't you stop that? And I was mad at God for not stopping someone stealing my innocence as a child. I was mad at God and I made a vow, I'll be my own protector then. I'll play God, I'll meet my needs, I'll be my defender. And what happens when you begin to play God, this is hard to say, but when you begin to play God in your life, you start craving worship. You don't know it. You don't know that's what it is. But you want affirmation. You want everyone to give you worth. Give me worth. Tell me I'm good. Tell me. And your whole life becomes this cycle of trying to find satisfaction because in your heart, you didn't mean to, but you came into a place through a series of hurts and bad opportunities that you began to play God and God is no longer first. And the whole time you might be going to church and you might be giving your tithes and you might be serving and have no idea that in your heart you're still playing God. I'm just talking about stuff I've walked through. I'm sure you guys are way holier and have never dealt with any of this stuff. See, generosity is about transformation into Christ-likeness. So this whole thing is about generosity of your entire being. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible says that Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor for us so that we might become rich in him. Jesus' generosity, the generosity of God is the number one quality of the nature of God for God so loved that he gave for God so loved that he made all of creation God loves so he gives and I ask you this question tell me one thing I ask you find one thing in your life that you absolutely love and you apply your energy and your and your attention to that doesn't also Besides your time and your energy and attention, it doesn't also get a portion of your funds. I'd love you to find one. In fact, I'll wait. Go ahead. Your education? Passion about education. Oh, it gets your money. Believe me. I'm paying for college right now. My vocation? Oh, no, no. I get money for my vocation. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes. If you're a business owner, 
some, anybody that understands being a business owner, sometimes you get money and sometimes you put money in. And if you're ever gonna excel in your career, you're gonna have to invest in personal development and all that kind of stuff. It's gonna cost you, you're gonna have to invest. Your hobbies, your kids, your marriage, every single thing you value in life, if you truly love it, you're truly devoted to it, it gets every part of you on some level. It gets a portion of finance, it gets a portion of your energy, it gets a portion of your attention. You're giving it worth. Does that make sense? So the question is, is there any part of your life that's getting more worth than God? Is there any part of your life where God is not first, where you've put yourself first or something else first? I mean, I, I've given you three different illustrations. Maybe, maybe you're here and man, you've, this whole thing of tithing your service, never heard of that. Well, maybe that's a challenge for you today. Maybe, maybe you've been great with other parts, but, or maybe this idea of tithing your, your attention, your time, the time of your day to God, maybe that stretches you. Man, go for it. Or maybe you've never been able to get over the hurdle of this idea of giving finances to God. Maybe you've got a hang up. You think that, you know, somebody just wants your money. And, and listen, we all know this. Everybody wants your money. Everybody wants your money. Every business wants your money. Go win the lottery and see how many family members will leave you alone. Everybody wants your money. But only one place gives you eternal purpose with your money. And that's the kingdom of God. Everything else turns to nothing. Investing in the kingdom of God turns into eternal grace and purpose. I'm gonna read you one last thing. This is a note that Jennifer and I got this week from a friend in the church. She wrote this to us. She said, guys, I don't know why, but I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you guys about my commitment to the church and the Lord. But I want to be accountable to you guys so you see all that he's done for me. Y'all know my story. When I was married, I wasn't allowed to tithe by my husband. Then when I got a divorce five years ago, I started over in life with less than I had in my early 20s. But God carried me through that time and has done such a restorative work in my, in my finances. I have always tithed on everything, even child support. But since coming to Oaks, not only have I started tithing on the gross of my earnings, but from three jobs, from all of my three jobs, but I have committed to giving to four other charity organizations monthly outside of the church, the Wounded Soldiers, Jews for Jesus, Hope Women's Center, Food for the Hungry. And can I just tell you how good God is? He has taught me that he will never stifle generosity. I cannot outgive him. In fact, when I feel the pressure of finances now, it only compels me to double down and give God more. He is my boss. He is my provider. He is my father. And my finances are his care. They're in his care. I just got a beautiful rent house to fit me and my three kids better. In addition, I was able to move my mother into my old house and support her. My rent monthly is $2,600 and my mortgage is $1,300 alone before any other bills. And God is making it happen. It's a miracle that a singer, as a single mother, I'm able to live on 85% of my income and still support two households. What an amazing story, right? Amazing story of God's faithfulness. I just wanna encourage you. Listen, it works in money. It works in your serving. It works in giving your time to him. When you put God first, it works. Amen? 
Amen. I just want to encourage you to take a step of faith today, whatever that step might be for you. And we're going to worship the Lord with communion here. I think most of you got these. If you didn't, the ushers can grab one for you. Our our worship team is going to come right back up and we're going to um, sing one last song. Uh, But if you would, you can go ahead and take the little top part off of the, the, the plastic wrap off and you can pull this little piece of bread out. I think it's a beautiful day to do this act of worship on Rosh Hashanah weekend. Uh, what we're doing symbolically is we're taking the Lord's name upon ourselves. We, we read the first two commandments today. Have no other gods before me. Don't make any idols. Those are the first two. The third one is not to take the Lord's name in vain. And what we're doing here, that t- take the Lord's name in vain, that phrase in Hebrew means to take the name or the identity of the Lord upon yourself falsely or, or with no ambition or attention to actually living for him. You're calling yourself the Lord's, but you don't actually live for him. That's what the phrase actually translates to. You're you're taking his name upon your life, but you have no intention of him actually being your Lord. It's, 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 It's a fake ID. That's what that actually means. But what we're doing here is, this is, we're taking the body of Christ, essentially. Jesus, on that last night, he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this every time you remember me, right? And so what we have is we have the opportunity. Jesus's body was broken so that ours can be whole. And as we take this in faith, having made him our Lord, he's our Lord, we're receiving the identity of Jesus Christ upon our lives, amen? It's a powerful thing. Would you receive the body with me in Jesus' name? Thank you, Jesus. Heal your people. You were broken for us. Heal your people. Restore them in Jesus' name. If you wanna open this cup. Uh, This cup, Jesus said, this is the cup of my new covenant, my new testament, the new agreement. My blood poured out for you. The new testament is a greater testament, the Bible says. And the promise is a greater promise. Now you are made righteous because you put your faith in him. You're not made righteous because of what you do. You're righteous because of your faith in what he has done. That's what makes you righteous. Amen. So you don't earn it anymore. Now we live good because we've been accepted, not to try to earn acceptance. It's a way better deal. And it's the only, our belief system is the only belief system on the planet that gives you that freedom and that assurance that you know you belong to him because you put your faith in him and you've received him as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's receive the cup. Father, we worship you. Come on, the band's just going to sing one more song and we're going to worship. And then Pastor Tyler's going to pop up and dismiss us. Thank you, Jesus.